Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today here in Waukesha. I want to say hello to all of you that are here. Um, for those of you joining us, hello over in Pewaukee. And of course, a special shout out to my friends who are watching online via our website, YouTube, or Facebook. Well, my name is Suvak, and I'm one of the pastors here at River Glen, and I spend most of my time helping people to get connected through life groups. But I'm so happy to be up here to teach on this weekend where we honor women and the way they nurture children. You know, my own mom has supported me and loved me um, through so much, and I owe her a lot, so happy Mother's Day to all of you moms. Well, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that next week we're actually starting a brand new series, and it's called Hills We Die On. And in this series, we're going to look at the most important beliefs that we hold as individuals and as a church, the kind of beliefs that really shape the vision and the direction of River Glen. So you're going to want to be here for that entire series. So that's next week, but today I want to start with a personal question, really a little bit of a rhetorical question probably, but are you active on social media? Now, I don't think I'm too old to ask that question because I'm on social media. Um, so if you have social media accounts, the next question is, which one do you use the most often? So are you on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter? Uh, maybe you're on LinkedIn. My husband says LinkedIn is social media. Uh, maybe you're a TikTok person or on Snapchat. Now, some of you are having a hard time choosing because you are on all of them a lot because a lot of us are on social media. In fact, most of us are. I did some research and apparently 340 million people are on Twitter. 800 million people are using that TikTok thing. Um, there are a billion people on Instagram and 2.7 billion of us are on Facebook. That's a lot of people and a lot of time on social media. And social media is a great tool. And just like all tools, it can be used for good or can be used for bad. But I think one of the more subtle dangers of social media is that we use it to present a less than accurate picture of ourselves to the world. I think you might have an idea of what I mean. So for example, a couple of years ago, my family took a vacation to the mountains. And uh, the reality on one particular day of that vacation was that most of my family was a little bit grumpy. I mean, we all had a different agenda for the day, and it was really hot that day, and we were in this touristy town, so it was really crowded. And then there were touristy prices, which tends to make some members of my family a little more grumpy than others. Um, but this is the picture that I posted on Instagram. Yeah, aren't they cute? I think I captioned it, ice cream for lunch, hashtag vacation because we don't tend to share the grumpy moments, do we? No, we share the things um, that are really good, like eating at a good restaurant or going to a cool place or when our kids do something extraordinary. And since Instagram is mostly about pictures, I think it's probably the worst offender. In fact, I found some examples of people on Instagram that were a little bit less than truthful. So take a look at this picture. This is this girl, she's probably thinking, hey, Instagram followers, I'm just hanging out here at the beach, enjoying the peacefulness of the water. But this is actually what's happening. Oh, and all these other people are here in this garbage that nobody picked up. <laughs> or what about this one where the girl's like, hey, Instagram followers, I held this pose for 10 minutes with the help of a friend, of course. <laughs> now, maybe Instagram deceptions are trivial, um, but social media, it can tempt us to present a highlight reel of our lives, and when in reality, there's just as many bloopers. And our tendency towards these Insta deceptions, it can kind of be a glimpse into the way that many of us live our lives. Because I think we all feel this pressure to present the very best picture of ourselves 
to those around us. And that pressure can come from our family or our friends or maybe just from society in general. Or maybe you feel some internal pressure because you just really have this desire to be exceptional. And if you're a Christian, you might feel that pressure from others in the church. But what if we could be confident that the person that other people saw was an accurate representation of who we really are? As a Jesus follower, what if we could be comfortable as the person that God created us to be? I mean, what if it were possible to live in an authentic way that improves our relationships and actually makes them thrive? Well, I want you to see today that God desires you to live as your true, authentic self, and it starts with knowing what God says is true about you. It is possible to live our true selves when we embrace what God says is true about us. Well, like Garrett said, we're in the final week of that Emotionally Healthy Relationship series. And if you missed any of the weeks, you can circle back to our website or our YouTube channel to catch up. But this series has addressed a fundamental need that all of us have, and that is to engage in meaningful and fulfilling relationships. And when Jesus was here on earth, he was asked, what's the most important commandment? And he actually gave two answers. He said, to love God and to love people. Jesus wanted us to have a deep love for both. And so the, the emotionally healthy skills and principles that we've been learning throughout this series, they're designed to help us love people better. And this weekend, we're focusing on the final skill, which is to live your true self. And when we live our true selves, the person that God created us to be, our relationships are really at their best because we feel free from this pressure to present this false front to others. And instead, we can be comfortable and confident as our genuine, authentic selves. But how do we do that? I mean, how do we even know what our genuine self is? And then how do we live that out in a practical way? Well, I think we need to start with the example of Jesus. Like, how did he respond to the pressure that he felt to be who the people wanted him to be at the time he was here on earth? Jesus understood pressure. I mean, he was sent to earth by God to be the Messiah, the person that would come and save all of us from the consequences of our sin. But the Jewish nation at the time that Jesus lived, they had been waiting a long time for that Messiah, and they had started to imagine what that Messiah would be like. And Jesus, he didn't always act or speak in the way that they imagined. Now, you might not know this, but Jesus lived 30 years before he started his public ministry. He had a childhood of learning and chores and family gatherings. He was trained as a carpenter by his father, Joseph, and he worshiped at the Jewish temple with his extended family. And when he was 30 years old, that's when he began three intense years of ministering people and, and showing them the way of salvation. But Jesus chose to prepare himself for some of that 30 years to live out this mission that God had, gotten, had called him to. And so we're going to spend some time today in the book of Luke. Now, Luke is one of the books of the Bible that tells the story of Jesus's life. And in chapters 3 and 4, Luke records that start of Jesus's ministry. So let me summarize what's happening in chapter 3. So John the Baptist, who's Jesus' cousin, he's traveling around the countryside and he's calling people to get baptized as a sign of repentance and forgiveness for their sins. And so people are asking John a lot of questions and they're even starting to wonder, is John the Messiah that we were looking for? But John assures them that he's just a messenger and he tells them that someone even more powerful than him is coming afterwards. And as he's telling them this, Jesus himself walks up. Look what it says in verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, 
Jesus was baptized too. And then something incredible happens. It says that as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him, meaning descended on Jesus, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So Jesus gets baptized to launch his public ministry and God takes that moment to audibly speak. I mean, this is before Jesus has really done anything noteworthy in front of other people. He hasn't taught any lessons, he hasn't performed any miracles, and he hasn't gone to the cross. But on that day, God declares that he's deeply loved and pleasing to him. God reminds Jesus of the truth that he is his son. And then he goes on to say how much he's loved because God knew what Jesus was about to face in the next three years. And the Father's love, it's the strength that Jesus needed to live his true self all the way to the cross. So we're going to read a little bit more about the start of Jesus' ministry, but I want to just pause here and take a few minutes to illustrate this concept of living our true selves. And I think this triangle diagram will help us a little bit. So our true self is made up of primarily three components. What we know about ourselves, those are our thoughts, our core values, our opinions, um, what we speak about ourselves, so that's what we say out loud, how we articulate those thoughts and core values, and then how we act. And that's how we you know, make our choices, our abilities, how we live out what, what is true about ourselves. Now, there's two important things that I want you to know about this concept of your true self. And the first is that God has uniquely created each of you. That means we each have our own personalities, our own temperaments, our own dreams. We have our own talents and gifts. And he made us that way on purpose, and he did it for a purpose. He had divine intention because he has a plan for your life. And the second thing is that if you are a follower of Jesus, God has given you a new identity in Christ. When you placed your faith in Jesus, you became new. And at that moment, God calls you his child, his heir, and his friend, just to name a few. So if you follow Jesus, your true self, it's directly tied to what God declares is true about you. But the challenge is to live that true self, right? To be that person that God created us to be. So what does that look like? How do we know and speak and act as our true selves? Well, let's head back to the book of Luke and look at our best role model, Jesus. So Jesus gets baptized, and now we see him head out into the wilderness to prepare even further. And while he's in the wilderness, he faces this temptation to veer from the path that God had set out to him. And he, that temptation comes from the devil himself. So we're going to read starting in verse 1. It's a little bit long, so hang in there with me. So then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all at the time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, so here's the first temptation, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. So then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they're mine to give to anyone I please. I'll give it all to you if you will just worship me. But Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and he said, if you're the son of God, jump off. 
Now here's where the trouble, devil tries to get a little tricky because he's going to quote scripture to Jesus. So this is the devil talking. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they'll hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So the devil was trying to convince Jesus that the plan that God had set out for him wasn't the way to go. So let's look at each of these temptations individually. So the devil tells Jesus, tell these stones to become bread. In other words, you're hungry, take what you want. Do a miracle to fulfill that desire to eat. Like in today's culture, that'd be like the devil saying, hey, satisfy yourself. Your personal needs, your personal wants, they come first. And then in the second temptation, the devil tries to tempt Jesus to switch his allegiance from God to the devil himself. I'll give you authority over all these kingdoms you see if you worship me. In other words, I can give you all of your power right now. No waiting, no suffering. This might be where we get that phrase, sell your soul to the devil, because even today, people are tempted to align themselves with deceitful, evil practices to get to a position of power before they've earned it in their career or their personal life. And then in the final temptation, the devil tries to entice Jesus to a big show of power that's going to boost his credibility and his popularity. He says, jump off the highest point of the temple. The angels will rescue you. In other words, go big or go home, Jesus. Nothing bad's going to happen. God will have to save your life. And we've all seen people, haven't we, who because of their popularity or their wealth, they've been rescued from the negative consequences of their actions and still enjoy fame. So how does Jesus hold on to his true self and his true mission in the face of these temptations? Well, he responds to the devil with the truth of the scriptures. And in this case, they're Old Testament scriptures, things that Jewish children would have learned growing up. So let's look at what Jesus says. The devil says, tell the stones to become bread. And Jesus says, people do not live by bread alone. Jesus knew that in order to live his true self and the mission that God had called him to, that he had to choose loyalty to God over his personal needs and his personal wants. The devil tempts, I'll give you all the authority over the kingdoms if you worship me. And Jesus says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Because Jesus knew that it was the plan for him to be the world's true Lord, but the path and the mode to that status, it was one of humble service, not aligning with the devil himself. And then the devil says, jump off the highest point of the temple. The angels will rescue you. But Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Because Jesus knew that trust in God, it doesn't mean acting stupidly to force God into some kind of spectacular rescue. The power that Jesus already had, he knew that it was going to be evident in healings and miracles, but he also knew that power was supposed to be used to restore others to life and to strength, not for some kind of cheap stunt. Because Jesus' time in the desert, it helped him to reaffirm his true self, a person of humility with a mission of service and an end game of sacrificing himself on the cross for all of us. Jesus lived his true self when he embraced what God said was true about himself. And we can do the same. So let's go back to our triangle because we can le learn from Jesus' time in the wilderness how we can know and speak and act as our true selves. So let's start with that knowing side. So like I said earlier, 
Once we start following Jesus, we receive a new identity as a Christ follower. And this is sometimes referred to as our identity in Christ because it's the things that God made true about you when you placed your faith in Jesus and started following him. Now, I mentioned a few of these things earlier, things like your God's child and his heir and his friend, but you can find statements of your identity in Christ all throughout the New Testament of the Bible. In fact, I could give an entire sermon just on what the Bible says is true about you as a Christ follower, but I'm just going to highlight a few of them today. So a big part of your identity in Christ is that you become new. So the Bible says you're a new creation. Your old nature is gone and God gives you a new one. It says you have a new spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And it says you have a new family. You're now part of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 sums it up this way. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. And instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So God also says that we have a new mission when we're in Christ. It says you are an ambassador for Christ. You now have the job of telling other people about Jesus. You are the light of the world. Your newness, it shines like an example for other people to see what it means to follow God. And you are a minister of reconciliation. Now, that's a pretty big word, but all it means is that you now get to help other people find forgiveness from God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Knowing even these few things about your identity in Christ, they can make a huge difference in how you live your life. And as we know more and more of this identity, it starts to influence our thoughts, our opinions, our core values. And just like Jesus emerged from the desert with great clarity, about who he was and what he was called to do, we can draw near to God every day to help us come to a better understanding of the true self that God created us to be. And as we read through the New Testament, we'll continually see phrases that reveal our identity in Christ. That's why we encourage you to read your Bibles regularly and look for what Jesus says, what the New Testament writers say is true about you as a God follower. Now, I want to help you to begin understanding your identity in Christ by offering you a little starter list of statements from the Bible. So we use bookmarks like this one in our rooted group. So this is your little sneak peek of a rooted group today. But on this bookmark, on the front and back, are a list of things that are true about you as a Jesus follower. And it also includes the scripture verses about where you can find that statement. And for those of you who are here in the room, you should have gotten one as you came in, but if you didn't, you can stop by the Connect Wall and pick one up before you leave. And if you're watching online, we've made this list available on our website under our Resources tab. But I want to encourage you to spend time reading these statements, maybe even meditating on them, which just means to read them over and over again and really think about what they mean to you. And then I encourage you to take the time to look up the verses to give yourself an even better understanding of your true self. So for example, because you're the light of the world, as a Jesus follower, you're going to want to relate to others in a way that reflects God's love and his forgiveness. Or because you know you have a new spirit, you're going to want to turn away from the sinful habits that hurt God and hurt other people. Remember, we live our true selves when we embrace what God says 
is true about us. So let's move on to the next side of the triangle because living our true self, it doesn't stop at just knowing what God says is true about us. We also have to speak our true selves. And just like Jesus quoted scripture in the wilderness to resist temptation, we can speak these statements out loud about ourselves and it'll help us to live out our true selves. Now, speaking your true self, it requires some courage because there's always the risk that someone might argue with you or try to convince you to be someone that you're not. So for example, maybe you're talking with a group of friends and someone starts saying things about a mutual acquaintance of all of yours, things that are unkind, things that would never be said to that person's face. Well, maybe before you knew anything about your identity in Christ, you would just jump right in. But now, now that you know you're a new creation in Christ, you speak up and you move the conversation in a positive direction, maybe even taking that opportunity to talk about your faith and why and how God is making you new. Because when you speak your true self, it can draw others to ask questions or maybe even to speak up about their own faith journey. And being comfortable knowing and speaking from your identity in Christ, it can definitely make your relationships more authentic, more genuine, and healthier. In fact, we can help other people to know their true selves by speaking truth to them. You know, maybe you observe a character trait in another person or a unique ability, and you can speak up and encourage that person. Like we might say to a friend, you know, hey, I really love how compassionate you are to people who are hurting. Or maybe you're working on a project with someone and you pull them aside and you say, hey, your organizational skills, they made a huge difference in the outcome of this project. We call these kind of conversations, I see in you conversations. See what I did there? I see in you. I see your true self, the person that God created you to be. And when we know and we speak our true selves, that's when we can move to that third side of the triangle, right? And we can begin to act out our true selves. Instead of trying to live up to some image imposed on us by the world, we can carry out the work that God has called us to do. We can love the people he wants us to love. We can serve the people he wants us to serve. And we can use the gifts and the talents and the passions that he's given us to make a difference in the world. So Jesus begins his ministry with a clear act of speaking and living out his true self. Let's look again at Luke chapter 4, because after Jesus emerges from the wilderness, he heads back to Nazareth and he goes to the synagogue. Let's start reading in verse 16. So when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll and he handed it back to the attendant and he sat down and all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus declares that what he just read was about himself. It's like the ultimate mic drop. Hey, Isaiah wrote this prophecy about the Messiah. That's me. Jesus wasted no time to begin speaking and acting out his true self. And he wants you to do the same. Ephesians 2.10 tells us we are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. 
God has a unique mission for each one of us, and it's tied to the unique things that God says is true about you. And when we combine our passions and our core values, and we combine that with our identity as a new creation, and then the statements, the ICNU statements that other people have said to us, when we put all that together, we can discover how to live out our true self. Now, the Bible says that every Christian has been given a spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit to use to serve others and to point people to God. And you can read about those spiritual gifts in several places in the New Testament. There are lists in the book of 1 Corinthians, in Ephesians, and in Romans. And the Apostle Peter wrote these words. He says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, we have groups here at River Glen that can help you to understand spiritual gifts and help you to figure out how God has gifted you. Spiritual gifts are introduced in the Alpha group, which is one of the first groups that we encourage people to be a part of. And then in a rooted group, you're going to learn even more about spiritual gifts because you'll take a personal inventory and you'll lean into the wisdom of other people in your group. We also have that spiritual gifts inventory available on our website. It's under our resources tab. You could start to explore that right now. So as a mom, I've been able to watch my own kids on their journey of knowing and speaking and acting out their true selves. All three of my girls have made a decision to follow Jesus and they're discovering their identity in Christ and how God created them uniquely. So my oldest daughter, Molly, um, she loves little kids and she has the gift of serving. So she serves on an RG Kids team here at River Glen on Saturday nights. She's here almost every Saturday night, and sometimes she comes back on Sundays and serves. But God is using her to point those little ones to Jesus. Lauren is my middle daughter, and she's a musician. She sings and plays instruments. She serves on the worship team at her church down in Florida. But she's also really gifted at making people feel comfortable in a group. She's a great listener, and she asks the kind of questions that help people to grow in their faith. Claire is my youngest, and she is a gifted leader. I mean, she sees the solutions to problems, and, and she can easily figure out the steps that are needed to make something better. And I have watched God use her to, to use that gift in a creative way with teenagers and kids and college students. Now, I'm sure God has much more in store for my girls as they lean into who he's created them to be. But my point is that it's never too early or too late to start to live out your true self. You can start today to know your identity in Christ, to speak it out loud, and to lean into the gifts and the passions that God is giving you. Remember, you can live your true self when you embrace what God says is true about yourself. And all of our relationships will benefit, and they'll be at their best when we live our true selves. Because when we don't do that, when we don't live as our true selves, we, we try to get from other people what only God can give to us. But when we live out of our identity in Christ, we're more confident, we're more comfortable, and we're better able to love other people. It makes us better moms, better dads, better husbands and wives and siblings and friends. We're less demanding and we're more content. You know, living his true self, it empowered Jesus to love and serve and pour into others. And after Jesus made that bold statement that he was the Messiah, there was a little bit of a mixed reaction. 
Some of the people who were listening were amazed, and some were furious. And as it sometimes happens, the angry crowd took over. Here's what it says in verse 29. It says, they got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. Now, that's a pretty strong reaction to someone living out their true self. Now, I don't think someone's going to try to throw you off a cliff, but you might face opposition. And it's likely that God will protect you like he protected Jesus. Um, because if you read in verse 30, a type of miracle happens. It says he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. God made sure that Jesus could complete his mission. And Jesus didn't just go on his way. He went from there to the next town and the town after that to teach and heal and love and serve and eventually die on the cross. Because he was speaking and acting out of knowing who he was and the work that it was his to do. And at the end of his time on earth, Jesus was able to say these remarkable words. He says, I have brought you, God the Father, glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. God gave each of us a unique life and we live our true selves when we embrace God's truth about ourselves. Let's not waste another day trying to reframe our lives to be what we think other people expect. Let's know our true identity in Christ. Let's speak that truth to ourselves and other people. And let's act on the gifts and the mission that God has called us to because it's in that space where our most important relationships are going to thrive. And I believe that's how we reach the end of our days on earth, able to say like Jesus did, God, I completed the work that you gave me to do. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much that you created each of us in a unique way and that you have a unique purpose for each of our lives. Thank you for giving us a new identity when we placed our faith in Jesus. God, help us to live authentically at the, as the person you created us to be. God, we pray that you would help us to know our identity in Christ better. We ask for insight as we read the Bible and discover that identity. And then help us to have the courage to say who we are as a Jesus follower to ourselves and other people. God, thank you for giving us spiritual gifts to help us live out our true selves. Help us to discover those gifts as we serve you. And then use us, God, to help other people discover their gifts. God, we want as many people as possible to know you and to love you and to receive your forgiveness. So give us opportunities to live out our true selves and be a bright light in the world. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.